6.30 Chad Afternoons with Jalen Nye. Weekdays at 2 on 6.30 Chad. But right now, wanted to get into this. We've been following this story over the past number of months, and you've heard Eileen talking about it just now in the newscast. Um, we now have more details today of exactly where that $64 million increase to the emergency medical services budget will go. Now, when the Alberta government unveiled its 2022-23 budget, it earmarked $587 million to EMS. That's a 12.2% increase from the $523 million budget this year. Today, the province says $28 million will go to add more ground ambulances and crews and provide funding for helicopter ambulance services, $22 million to increase capacity, extend ground ambulance contracts and support integrated operations centers and interfacility transport projects. And then there's $14 million for the Hours of Work initiative to address crew fatigue. Will it be enough? Let's get reaction from Mike Parker, the president of the Health Sciences Association of Alberta. Hey, Mike, welcome back to the show. Jalen, always a pleasure, and thank you so much. All right. Is it enough? Let's start there. <laughs> this, is, this is the question that's taken 20 years to get to. But, Jillian, if I could, before we get started, I just want to express my, my thoughts to the nine-wing gander team that's out there with the, with the news that I just heard as I was waiting with you. And mm. I've also got members, uh, healthcare professionals that I know on the Polish border right now. Mm. And I want to express my thoughts with uh, them also. On this issue of, a, of an increase in funding, we know very well that we have a 60% increase in call volume over the last 10 years. And this identified increase of 12% does improve the situation today. It gets us a few years closer uh, to where we are at out there on the street. The issue that I've got to express crystal clear is that our healthcare professionals are a commodity that we don't have. We, we, we have uh, unfilled units. And in Calgary, I'll give you the example, 3,200 3, unfilled shifts last year in Calgary, over 300 unfilled shifts in Edmonton last month. So having a lot of ambulances is great. We can have a whole bunch of them. We don't have the people, the professionals. And until we start making this workplace safe for our people, you can add all the vehicles you want. And Mike, in the in the news release that came out uh, this morning, uh, the, the province saying that HS has hired 66 staff and recruitment continues. Um, how... What would be the number that you'd have to get to to make things better? How low is are the staffing numbers right now? Mm, here's a here's a perspective uh, from the college that registers all of these professionals. For every one that joins up as a brand new graduate, one leaves. They have been flatlined for almost ten years, so there are no spare paramedics laying around looking for work. Right? They're hiring everybody they can at this mm. point. And so getting 60 more is great. What's the attrition rate? All these other pieces that we look at today. What we need to focus on is keeping the members that we have now. Mike, you didn't answer my question. How many, what's the staffing shortage? How many more do we need? Well, this is the problem. When you look at at, uh, thousands of unfilled shifts in a year, uh, we need a lot. Uh, 60 isn't going to cut it. Uh, to give you an exact number, there's a lot of pieces in here, uh, Jalen. You look at our lost time injury, our mental health supports that are failing our people on the front lines get all of that put together and we wouldn't need as many as i could imagine the, we needed, 
Yeah, go ahead. The Hours of Work initiative that's uh, been announced as well. They're saying that 14 mil is going to support this uh, uh, mm-hmm. AHS EMS Hours of Work project. And they say that that includes adjusting working hour shifts and scheduling to lessen fatigue among uh, paramedics in, in 14 rural communities. Uh, curious yep. to know why those communities have, have been picked, number one. Number two, what does something like that do for the system? When you look at these rural communities, these crews are working on a core flex or a 24-hour schedule. And at 16 hours of straight work, they have to be timed out and they're put out of service for an eight-hour window after 16 consecutive hours of work. So if you can adjust that to have 12-hour shifts and have a day crew and a night crew, for example, uh, that reduces the fatigue management problems that we see with these crews. And it continuously keeps the support, that unit active in the community. So it is a good step in the right direction. I, I need to see the details on it, Jalen. I apologize. They aren't mm-hmm. clear in this document. But if it is to move these core flex units into a 12-hour shift cycle, it's going to help those folks in those communities. Lessen the code reds in those smaller communities. How is, um, what, what are the, you know, last time we talked, Mike, the numbers were still really high. Those code red numbers were still really high. Haven't heard much about it lately. What is the reality on the ground right now? So, still is bad? Uh, we've been reporting that our averages were about 300 per month sort of thing. That's what we were getting from members. This is what the stories they were telling us directly. There's been a FOIP document that's come out in the media now, mm-hmm. and we were wrong, Jalen. We were wrong. I'll admit it. There's over a thousand code reds reported hmm. uh, monthly now, so we weren't. We thought 300 was a lot. Uh, their FOIP documents now are showing us that it's up over a thousand a month. So yeah. uh, it's still that bad. And and this uh, pipe dream of just adding five new units. Well, they're not going to be here tomorrow, and they're not going to be here next month. And it takes more than two and a half years to train a paramedic. So we've got some work to do. But this does start uh, recognizing the reality. This government's realizing that, I guess, there is a problem and they're starting to move in a direction that is going to support some of our front lines. So would you say then that this is a good first step? It is, it is a good first step. And until we can stop this excessive forced overtime, get our members off shift on time, get them a meal break at some point during the day so they can get out of the truck, these are pieces that will save their careers and keep our members employed instead of having them walk out the door after only a short amount of time. Mike Parker joining me this afternoon. One of the things that has been brought up, and we've talked about it uh, a lot, Mike, and, and it's, a, it's a conversation that comes up on my text line from my listeners all the time, and it's about uh, the, the wait time. When, when a patient is taken to a hospital, how long uh, the crew has to wait there, and then also uh, transfers in between facilities. There is some funding that's been announced to help support this uh, pilot project in Red Deer to manage what they're calling the non-emergency patient transfers between facilities, allowing more ambulances to free up. Can you tell us more about that pilot project? You betcha. Because, when you look uh, let's at- put it this way. It sounds like it needs to be done everywhere. Forget about the pilot project. Just get it done. Oh, I, I am so with you on this conversation because this is the reality. This isn't a simple fix. There's no uh, just do one thing and it's solved. This, even in this announcement, the amount of pieces that are trying to be put into play shows you how complicated it is. Yes, the, cow, uh, the, the Red Deer pilot absolutely needs to go everywhere. Our units are being uh, stuck in hospital is not an EMS problem. Absolutely not. This is a systemic healthcare problem that has been 20 years in the making. We have less people working in healthcare today than we did back in the 90s. And it isn't a furniture issue. There's plenty of beds. 
There's plenty of beds in the healthcare system. It's the people, and we don't have them anymore. Uh, we've continually wound it down, and that's where this uh, bottleneck happens in the hospital. Yeah, our paramedics need to get in there and get out and get back on the street where they belong, protecting Albertans. Mike, but instead, they're stuck. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, no, that's okay. Uh, Mike, before I let you go, because I'm pretty much out of time here, but you mentioned off the, off, the, off the top of our conversation that you have some healthcare colleagues who are on the Polish border right now. Can you tell me about that? Uh, just real brief, the Canadian Medical Assistance Team, a voluntary organization in Canada that deploys to disasters across the globe, uh, it has initiated deployment into uh, the borders of, U- of the Ukraine. And they are just now establishing uh, where they'll be working. And I don't have all of the details, and I probably couldn't give them all out anyway. That would make, wouldn't make a lot of sense. But uh, so volunteer members, and some of them are, are from this province, and they're across the country, and they are heading in to do what they can to support the mass exodus of, uh, of refugees out of the Ukraine at this time. Mike, keep us updated on that one. I'll follow up with, uh, with that. I'd be interested in hearing more about that conversation. Thanks for your time this afternoon. Always great to chat with you. Stay safe. Thanks, Jalen. Yeah, you take it easy. Mike Parker uh, joining us this afternoon. He is the president of the Health Sciences Association of Alberta. So will this money make a difference? You have to hope that it would. I mean, you know, I think it's fair to say that, uh, you know, a union is going to continue to push for more and more and more and more, right, on a number of different fronts. Um you know, he suggested that, uh, you know, uh, a 60 percent drop in funding or not, you know, that that's kind of the how much would be missing. Uh, this is about 12 percent. So, OK, it's a start. But I am interested to hear more details about, um, you know, some of the projects that are looking into this, you know, the interfacility transport pilot project. I think this is something that needs to be addressed it needs to be looked at very closely and we need to get moving on it sooner rather than later right but it goes more than just taking a patient to a hospital dropping them off and leaving there you have to make sure that the teams then in emergency or whatever are going to be there as well um, there's also this integration operation center that they're looking at as well so there's there's lots there you know as mike said it's a starting point what will the finish point be I tried to ask, you know, uh, not firm on that one because I suspect that it's going to be a, a moving goalpost, right? But we'll see what happens here. We'll see what happens and see if uh, this does help some of the backlog that we're seeing.